Well, it's a, it's a huge, uh, huge privilege uh, to be able to introduce uh, Stephen Chandler. And Stephen and Zai have come all the way from America. When we invited them for the first time uh, to come here, we, um, I was told by a friend of mine, you're going to be in for a surprise, an amazing surprise. What I hadn't worked out was what kind of surprise. And so I was doing the lab this afternoon, introducing him, when in he came, like a pastor, with a Bible under his arm, as you would expect, and a roll of loo roll in his hand. And I thought, oh my gosh, he didn't fly British Airways. Is it the food? What is he going to do? And then we saw in an amazing lab this picture, which you could see what he did with the loo paper, wrapping it around a person here telling the story of Lazarus. Even though we are alive, sometimes we are still bound. And that was a great picture. So I want you to welcome Zai, and I want you to welcome Stephen Chandler to, to be with us. Stephen, it's wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for coming all the way. Now, just tell us a, a little bit about yourself. I know one of the great things is that both you and Zai were born in the Commonwealth. She in Sierra Leone and you in Barbados, and this is, we are celebrating the our 70th queen. of the, our Queen. You used to sing, God Save the Queen, when you, you don't anymore, so I won't, pre <laughs> I won't, I won't press, press that anymore. Stephen, tell us. Uh, because we'd really like to know just a bit about, about you. You're married to Zai, you've got three children. Yep, married to my beautiful wife, Zai. I call her my African queen. She, uh... Oh, come on, come back, come say hi. Come say hi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is she gorgeous, y'all? This is how you know that God loves me, because uh, I don't have the looks to pull that off. But we have uh, been married for nine years. We have uh, five, three children. I was about to say five. That ain't God. And that's not prophecy either. Uh, <laughs> three kids. The oldest is five, then four, then ten months. You um, got it right. Well done. We're, and you're done. And you run a church. We do run a church, Union and Church. Union Church is help us on the map of America, and America looks like this. East Coast, right in the middle, right outside of Washington, D.C. Brilliant. Yep, right between D.C. and Philadelphia is where most of the locations are. And you, were, you had said to be uh, one of the fastest growing churches in America. But it wasn't always like that, was it? No, not even close. We are an overnight success, 11 years in the making. <laughs> so it started off at 50 people, and we could tell this story later, and just grew slowly, slowly, slowly. And God, obviously, as you know, God will always do work in you, before he does work through you. Uh, and no, we're looking around saying nothing's happening, and God yeah. says it's happening inside no, of you. You're about to preach, but... Uh, I know I, I can't preach, so you, right? You, you can't do it now. <laughs> uh, you Just, just for, for a context, your first appointment um, as a pastor was how old? 23. 23, well, and that's, that's amazing. And you've continued to pastor this amazing church. Come on, man. 
Thank you so much. And, and we, we're so looking forward to having you with us. And you've got a book coming. I have a book coming out. Stop book. waiting for permission. Stop waiting for permission. You, can, you can't buy it yet. When's it coming out? Uh, it's coming out in September, but you can pre-order Amazon, Target. Well, do they have Target in the UK? No, I don't they know. Don't. No. You don't have Target. You guys don't do that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, wherever. Wherever. Pre-order it. Stephen, we're looking forward to it. Say hi. Zai, say hi. My British accent. No, please don't. No, no. Uh. No, no, no. Yes. You Hello, me. <laughs> Wildfire. This is wildfires, right? Am I at the right place? They tell me I am uh, at wildfires. Uh, Ken and the team, first and foremost, can you do me a favor? Can you put your hands together and can you honor the amazing team that put this event together? This is, you wouldn't be bad to stand on your feet to create an atmosphere. Come on. You're clapping and you're celebrating for people thinking and putting this together, but what you don't know is that revival is getting ready to birth out of this moment, that thousands of people are going to be saved, healed, delivered, and set free because of what God is getting ready to do in this moment, and it would not have taken place if people had not dared to believe God, to sacrifice, and to give, and we are grateful, grateful, grateful for each and every one of you. It, it's, it's, um, it's difficult being in an atmosphere like this, especially uh, if you're spirit-filled and prophetic and all that, because the presence of God is so thick that every ounce of Holy Ghost in you is moving right now. So every prophet wants to prophesy in this moment. Every healer wants to lay hands. Every usher wants to ush. Every spiritual gift is just stirred up in this moment. And I'm, I'm excited because I know that what God is going to do tonight is not going to just stop with tonight. And I'm not just saying this to say this. I'm not saying this just for preacher talk. And if I had time to tell you my story, I can back this up that our children's children's children will be affected by what happens in this room tonight. You, you, you gotta understand the God that we serve. He's not a God of one generation. When he introduces himself, he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And one of the reasons why he introduces himself that way is because he wants us to know I'm always thinking about the next generations even when I'm speaking to you. And you've got to know tonight that, that there's generations behind you that are relying on your desperation. There's generations behind you that are relying on your hunger and your passion. As, as you lean in tonight, as you surrender tonight, as you, you take the posture of God, here am I, use me. You've got to understand you're not just making a decision for yourself. 
You're not just making a decision for your spouse or your children or your church. You're making a decision for generations to come. And I know for a fact that what God is getting ready to pour out in this place will forever transform our life. If you believe it, somebody shout amen. And I'm not even, I'm not even preaching yet, but I'm telling you. Yo, it's, I, I got to read my notes. I got to start preaching. I don't want to jump into it yet. I want to make sure I honor the Holy Spirit. I'm going to preach as fast as I can. And at the end and in the middle and all around, it's going to get just a little bit crazy because God has a power and a presence and a fire to pour out in this place. You, 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 you can't be wildfires without the fire of God pouring out in a place and lives being transformed. The picture that came to my mind, if you remember Samson, the Bible says that he took foxes and he tied two of them together and he lit their tail on fire and then he sent them out running through the fields to burn the entire fields to the ground. And I could just think about it in this moment that, that God is getting ready to light some believers on fire in this room. How fitting is it that we're just sitting in the middle of a field and God is going to get ready to send us back to cities and homes and churches. And there's going to be a fire that burns as a result of what is getting ready to go on in your hearts tonight. If you believe it, somebody say amen. Now, I, 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 if you haven't picked it up yet, I am American. I, I do not have anything to say British other than my wife. She can come up and give you all that other spotate and all that other stuff that Americans should never say. I've never heard the term in my life, go ape. That is, that is a new one. I'm, I'm going home with that one in my back pocket. As soon as I get back to Union Church, I'm about to preach and say, in America, we say turn up. Turn up is our, is our synonym for go eight. But, but I need y'all, and I'm, I'm going to set this up for a moment. In about two minutes, if we get something on music and all that, we're going to hop up on our feet and we're going to go ape for 60 seconds. And then I'm going to preach. And then the power of God is going to fall. Amen? We, uh, we, we, we were in London uh, for the last two days. And uh, me and my wife didn't know what to do. We, we, we talked to a bunch of people. They said, you, you know, go to Westminster Abbey. You need to see, you know, see the palace and all this other good stuff. And we couldn't decide what to do. So we went shopping. <laughs> we figured if you don't know what to do, just go spend money. And uh, I'm, I'm a shopper. My wife actually is not a shopper. I'm all the way a shopper. And I, so we went shopping. And some of the stuff we shipped back home so we didn't have to carry it. And, and it, actually tonight, I received an email from one of the deliverers, DHL, and they said, in order for this package to be delivered, somebody has to be at your house to sign for it. The only problem is we're not going straight home after this. So there's not going to be anybody at the house to sign for it. And in the email, they said there's an option where you can pre-authorize them to leave it at your doorstep. You don't have to be there before. You can just pre-sign for it via email and let them know that it's okay to leave it at the doorstep even before it's delivered. And if you will pre-sign, they'll make sure that they leave it. And I, I just went ahead and pre-signed. I said, I don't mind it. I'm not going to steal my package. You, you can put it at my front door. And I actually got a lot of packages, so I got like three of those emails in a row. And on the third one, I was kind of just distracted. And here's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. He said, Stephen, before you preach, tell wildfires 
that they need to pre-sign by faith the package of fire that I desire to deliver to their homes. That they need to make a decision before any message is preached, before anything is said, that God, all that you have for me, I want it in my life, God. I'm so grateful for the person sitting to my left, and I'm grateful for the person sitting to my right. But God, I'm saying tonight, this is going to be a greedy night. This is going to be a night, God, that I want all that you have for me. So do me a favor, hop up on your feet, and I promise when I'm done, you can sit down and we can preach and have a good time. But can you take about 60 seconds? Can you open up your mouth? Can you lift your hands? Can you just begin to let God know? Can you pre-authorize the deposit that he's looking to make in your life? Can you lift your voice and say, God, I came for you this evening. God, I long for you this evening. God, here is where you can pour out your presence. God, here is where you can pour out your signs and your wonders and your miracles, God. If you're looking for somebody to use, God, you can use me. God, if you're looking for somebody to put your hand on, God, you can put your hand on me. God, if you're looking for somebody to pour your presence on, God, you can pour. Come on, take about 60 more seconds. 60 more seconds. Open your mouth. Tell them you're hungry. Tell them you're desperate. Tell him you long for more and more and more and more of him. Hey, last night was great, but how many people know there's a fresh outpouring? There's a fresh encounter. There's a fresh outpouring of his presence. God, we say in this moment, we long for you. God, we hunger for you. God, we thirst for you. God, we say we long for you more and more and more. More of your presence. More of your glory more of your mercy, more of your joy, more of your hope, more of your favor. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. So this is how I fight my battles. This is how I. This is how I fight my It may look like I'm surrounded But I'm surrounded by you It may look like I'm surrounded But Come on, one more time It may look like It may look like I'm surrounded But I'm It may look like I'm surround. Say so this is how I. Yes, This is how I. 
If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Matthew chapter 26. I fight my battles. So this is how I guys have Matthew 26 if you have it somebody say yeah if you're still turning I'll give you a second to turn you know a lot of times people don't understand the power of worship they don't understand the power in opening your mouth and lifting your hands and dancing in the presence of the Lord I um I have this app on my phone it's called nest I don't know if you've heard of that app but Nest has the ability to control all the temperature gauges in my house. So I can pull up an app and literally change the temperature in any room in my house. But I don't live here. I live back over the pond in Washington, D.C. But literally thousands of miles away, I have the ability to affect what happens there based on just making one click on this. I wish I had some people that understood that as you open your mouth, as you lift your hands, as you worship the King of Kings in this room, that what you're doing in this room doesn't just affect this room, but it affects your home wherever you come from. It affects your school. It affects your community. It affects your church. As we cry out to God in this room tonight, I'm telling you, you're shifting atmospheres from where you come from. If you believe it, somebody shout amen in this y'all aren't a quiet crowd are y'all you're, you're not a quiet bunch it's no fun to preach to a quiet bunch they make you work really hard and they stare at you really hard and all that please please don't do that to me tonight I don't know what kind of church you grew up in but uh the church I grew up in is what they call a shouting church yeah, yeah wave at me if you've been to a shouting church if you now, now that's like that's like that's like I'm in, I'm in trouble that's about 10% of the room, which means 90% of the room grew up in what I call a thinking church. That's where the pastor preaches and all you do is think. And you think, hmm, that was good. Hmm, that was, here, thinking helps nobody. <laughs> Preaching is a team sport. If I say something good, it's your responsibility to shout. You can say amen. You can say preach, preacher. You can say, oh, he's talking good. Or sometimes it's just so good you don't know what to say. So you stand up like you smell something and it's just... That's what... Come on, just try it. Just try it. Just... a great bunch. All right, let's preach. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36, and it reads, then Jesus came with them to a place called, is that rain? How fitting. Come on now. Y'all prayed the rain down. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. 
and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Somebody say, watch with me. Jesus never intended ministry to be us watching him. He always intended it for it to be something that we watch with him, that we do with him. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Somebody say sleeping. And said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment. God, we are literally standing under an open heaven. God, even as it's raining physically, God, your presence is raining in this place. God, you're reigning favor. You're raising mercy. You're, you're reigning open doors. Healing is reigning in this place. The presence of God is reigning in this place. Signs, wonders, and miracles are reigning in this place. God, today we pray a very selfish prayer. That is, God, whatever you're doing in this moment, God, don't do it without us. God, we long, God, we desire for a fresh encounter with you. Use us for your glory. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody say amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you honor our band and our worship? We are grateful, 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 grateful. They were leading worship and singing different prophetic songs. I'm like, man, they're leaking my message. They're singing exactly what I'm getting ready to preach. And I love how the Holy Spirit twines and just binds everything together. As I uh, mentioned earlier, I uh, am the proud father of three children, a girl, a boy, and then a girl. My oldest daughter, her name is Zoe. She is five years old, and we're just a little hood. So we gave all of our children rapper names. I don't know what they call it here in the UK, but over America, you know, rapper type of deal. So our oldest daughter's name is Zoe. Her rapper name is Zozo. Then my son, he's four years old. His, his name is Roman. So his rapper name is Roro. So we have Zozo and we have Roro. And then our third is 10 months old. Her name is Jade Mariah. So her rapper name is J-Mo because we're not very creative parents at all. So we have Zozo, Roro, and J-Mo. Now Jade, our 10-month-old, I, 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 my, my wife doesn't have a microphone, so she can't tell you. I'll, I'll talk for myself. When, when, when Jade was a newborn, I was the best father <laughs> on planet Earth. Now, I know that there's no poll for that. There's nowhere they're taking, but I'm just saying I'm the only one who's voting. I, I'm voting. I was the best father ever to live. I mean, your boy was changing diapers. I was feeding the bottle. I was burping. I was up at night. I mean, I had this father deal of a newborn down packed. I was a pro at it. Now, part of the reason I was a pro at it is because it was my third child. You ever heard them say third time is a charm? 
The other reason I was a pro at being a father by the third child is because I had a near-death experience with my first child. Now, when I say I had a near-death experience, you're like, what exactly happened? Well, it was this one ominous night. It was raining just like this. No, it wasn't, but it would be cool if it was. And it was getting ready to go to bed and I looked at my wife and I said, is there anything you need help with before I go to sleep? The baby was up and, you know, she said, you know, not, not really. You go to sleep. You're fine. And I know I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay. Women, why do you say things that you don't mean? I asked this woman, should I go to sleep? She looked back at me and she said, go to sleep. About two in the morning, I felt like somebody was watching me. You, you, ever, you ever just had that feeling that I don't know who it is, I'm sleeping. Next thing I know, my eyes pop open and my wife is standing up with a pillow in her hand. I'm convinced if I had not woken up in that moment, that pillow would have been on my face. <laughs> she tried to kill me, y'all. I later found out that even though she said go to sleep, she didn't actually mean go to sleep. She meant stay awake and watch with me. Now, on the first baby, y'all, I'm a dude. I'm not that bright. <laughs> when that baby wakes up in the middle of the night, it wants nothing that I have. I can't feed it, I can't nurse it, I can't burp it. You're saying I can change diapers. Yeah, but all that comes after the feeding, so I still couldn't help. And in my mind, it made the most sense for me to sleep through the night. So in the morning when I was awake and rested, I, I can relieve my wife. Little did I know that she did not want me to sleep at all but she felt that if she was suffering awake, that I should suffer awake. She, she wanted moral support. It only took me once to learn. Okay, twice. I messed up on the second one too. But on the third one, I figured out. It was so bad. And now the women in the room, you're going to hate me. One day I woke up in the morning. I said, wow, the baby slept all night long. She looked at me and said, she woke up five times. Ooh, touchy, touchy. <laughs> Here's my question of Matthew chapter 26. Why was Jesus so frustrated that the disciples were sleeping? The Bible says that he had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. Many of us know that this is a time right before Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. And he looked at the disciples and he said, can you stay awake? for I am increasingly sorrowful. He leaves Peter, James, and John away from the other disciples. He walks, I can only imagine, just from here to the back of this tent. He goes off to pray just for a moment, and when he comes back, <laughs> the disciples are asleep. The Bible says that Jesus woke them up, that he said, can't you watch just for it, can you pray for one hour? He walks off again, prays a little bit longer, and when he comes back, he finds them asleep again. 
The third time he goes off and comes back, and the third time he wakes them up, and, and he's visibly, or at least my interpretation of this story, is that Jesus was frustrated that they couldn't stay. Here's my question. Why was Jesus so frustrated? Like, like you, you, you're gonna find out if you, you don't know this by now. I'm just, a, okay, a lot crazy. I, I'm just a little bit off. I ask my Bible questions. It's okay, because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and God loves me, so if you think I'm weird, God bless you. Anyway, it's not like they really could help Jesus. Like, let's be real. They couldn't go to the cross for him. It's, it's not like their prayer would have removed the sin of the world off of Jesus. I mean, maybe Jesus was like my wife and he just wanted moral support. If I don't get to sleep, you don't get to sleep. Stay awake. But I'm sitting here thinking, why was Jesus so frustrated? Can I talk just a little bit? That his church was asleep. And here's what I believe the Holy Spirit said. Jesus wasn't frustrated that the disciples weren't staying awake for him. He was frustrated that the disciples weren't staying awake because he was trying to teach them something. You see, in just a few days, Jesus was getting ready to turn over the church here on earth to his disciples. For the last three years, they had watched him. He had trained them. He had prepared them. He had brought them into closed room meetings to prepare them, literally to raise up the entire church. And this was their last lesson, and they were failing their last lesson. I believe that this moment, Jesus was trying to teach the disciples how to stay holding on to hope in the darkest hour. I believe in this moment, Jesus was trying to teach the disciples how to be grounded in hope when everything around them looked hopeless. You know, here, here's the thing about hope. You don't need hope when life is hopeful. We, we, we say different things that sound good because we've been church for so long, but, but man, we, we just need you to be full of hope. Do you know if everything in life is full of hope, it's easy to be full of hope? My, my hope as a believer is not unique unless my circumstance is hopeless. Come on now. Everybody can have great hope in the economy when there is no inflation. Too close to home? Come on now. It takes a supernatural hope when everything around you says one thing, but God's hope says something different. Everybody can be full of hope in Jehovah Rapha, our healer, when nobody's sick. Come on now. But when literally the entire globe <laughs> has a plague, then all of a sudden hope is harder to hold on to. And in this darkest moment of Jesus' life, he was trying to teach the men and, and, and even their spouses and the women that he was turning the entire church over to how to remain hopeful 
when there was not much hope to be seen. I believe one of the things that God is teaching us and asking us to is to be people of hope. I, I, I say it this way, to stay awake to what God is doing in this land, even if we can't see it with our natural eyes. Somebody say amen in that. Now, I'm always getting in trouble. I love God's church. I, I don't just love my church. Union Church is a amazing church. I, I, I love the big C church. I was just in Canada a few weeks ago with some believers there, and their passion and their hunger for God was amazing. The last time we were in London was only for 24 hours because we were on our way to Lagos, Nigeria, preaching a revival there. Got some Nigerians in the house. <laughs> anyway. And to be with the church in Nigeria and to see the passion and the hunger. I love God's church. I just have a little itty, okay, I'm a little frustrated with the church. Is that okay to say? And here's my frustration. My frustration is could it be, as the church and myself included, could we be asleep? Could, 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 could we be asleep in a season where God is at work, but we may not necessarily be able to see it? I don't want to get into too much doomsday prophecy and all that other good stuff, but it's amazing when this pandemic hit how many people were saying that the church is done, as if God's word doesn't say that he is building his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. It's amazing how many educated people and bloggers and writers began to say, oh, church will only be online from here on out. Nobody will ever gather again. People will never come together in crowds as if God did not say my church or the ecclesia, the called out ones, the people of God that I have knitted together. Could it be that we're asleep in a season where God is looking to bring revival to our land? I'm telling you, God is in a season where he's saying, I am looking to wake up my church because I desire to do something great and supernatural through you. The Bible says this, in Revelations chapter 16, verse 15, he says, see, I will come like a robber. The man is happy who stays awake and keeps his clothes ready. He will not be walking around without clothes and be ashamed. Here's what God said for his church. He said, come on, I'm, I'm gonna let you be violent in church. Take a little elbow, elbow your neighbor. I don't think they appreciated that, but they can't do anything about it. Cause Tell the person, this. tell them, say stay awake. Tell, tell the person on the other side, Tell them, keep your clothes on. <laughs> Y'all may never bring an American back to preach again. Here is the prophetic word. Stay awake and keep your clothes on. God is looking for a church that is awake and fully clothed. 
Three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts. The first one is this. If, if you could do me a favor, if you could write this down, if you can take notes. I don't know if you ever heard this, but you are 78% more likely to make it into heaven if you take notes in church. It's... <laughs> By the way, 83% of all statistics from preachers are made up, so you can take that. First thing I want you to write down is this. Stay awake no matter what. Stay awake no matter what. Now you gotta understand, I am one of the most hypocritical people to preach this message because for my entire life I have struggled to stay awake. I have fallen asleep at some of the most inopportune times. I've fallen asleep behind the wheel of a car and completely totaled it. I've fallen asleep on my wife and newborn baby. I, I, I'm a great example of a man of God. I am not a great example of a good student. I would get some of my best sleep in university. I, I literally would stay up all night just so I can take a good nap in class. I, 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 I would pray for me. God is, God's forgiven me. Hopefully you can. I would be that guy who got to class right before the professor locked the door. And if you know the last person in class, the only seats left are the seats on the front row because everybody's already taken the back seats. I would come sit on that front row and I don't know if I had the fear of the Lord at that point. I mean, about three minutes into that class, I'm... And I remember when I was sitting in the class and the professor's writing on the board and, and it would say something like two plus two. I'm like, I got that. Equals four. And then I fall asleep. By the time I woke up, that board looks like hieroglyphics. <laughs> I mean, it's numbers and dashes and X's and O's and all the, and the professor is erasing the board saying, hey guys, that's going to be on the exam this Friday. Did you all get it? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm looking around. Did you get it? Because I'm copying off. There are certain moments where it is not very good to fall asleep. And hear me, this season of your life is not a good season to fall asleep spiritually. Why? Because God is preparing you. God is looking to use you in a way that you never thought possible. You may be saying, who, me? I'm just, I'm just here. I just came with my church. I'm, I'm just a leader. I'm just a just. I'm, no, 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 no. You're a son of the most high God. You're a daughter of the Most High God. You were known before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. He said he formed you. He said he fashioned you. He said that before you live one day, that he wrote the days of your life out. You are a world changer. You're a revivalist. You're somebody that God is going to use to transform a generation. Now, you may be saying, you don't know me. I don't have to. I know your daddy. And guess what I know? I know that he doesn't make small people. He doesn't make average people. He doesn't make insignificant people. He only makes world changers. The problem is, because looking around us, we can't really see what God is at work in our lives. It's so easy for us to doze off and to begin to think that God's not up to much that God's not looking to do much through me, that not much is going on in my life, not realizing 
that God is working behind the scenes to use you in a way that you never thought possible. Now, I, um, when I was 16, I had one of the worst jobs a 16-year-old could ever have. And I saw it here in the UK. I worked at Foot Locker. You guys familiar with Foot Locker? In America, we say it's a sneaker store. Here, you guys would call it a trainer store. Um, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning things. You would say, why is a trainer store, a sneaker store, a horrible job for a 16-year-old? It's because I did not make any money. I would work 20 hours a week. They would hand me my check, and I would hand that check right back. And I'd say, I'll take that pair, I'll take that pair. I'll take two of those, three of these, and four of those. I had the best shoe collection of anybody. I was broke, but my shoes were great. And you know what's interesting about that job is only in hindsight did I realize that God was using that job to prepare me for this moment. You're like, that doesn't even make sense. God would not use a sneaker store to prepare you for ministry. Well, at 16, I was one of the most introverted, quiet, soft-spoken people you would have ever met. If you had asked anybody who knew me at 16, they would say, you'll never be on a platform, you'll never have a microphone, you'll never be in front of people, you're too quiet, you're too shy, that wouldn't happen. But here's what happened when I worked at that store. About three days in, my manager, my boss, he pulled me aside, he said, Stephen, we're having a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, um, you're not speaking to anybody when they walk through the store. I said, okay, I'm not talking to people, how's that a problem? He said, well, if you don't talk to people, people don't buy shoes. I said, okay. He said, if people don't buy shoes, you don't work here anymore. I said, oh, that's a problem. You've got to understand within days, I turned into hustle man. People walk through the doors, I'm like, CDs, DVDs, I got what you need. I learned how to speak to people. I learned how, how to connect. But you know what else I learned? I learned how to share my faith. I learned how to see the brokenness of lost humanity. I remember being 16 in that room and, and having managers who were 36, 46, saying, Stephen, what is that hope on your life? Well, what is that joy that you have that I don't have? I remember being in the stock room, stocking shoes, and the presence of God falling, and people weeping as lives are being transformed. And I realized that in an insignificant moment that just seemed like some stupid teenager job, God was forming and fashioning me for something that was beyond anything that I could ever ask think or imagine. Here's my question. Could it be that God is using this season to prepare you for something? And because everything looks normal, everything looks average, everything looks like happenstance, you miss the fact that God is, could it be that we're sleeping? Here's the problem with sleeping on the plan that God has for your life. Just because you're sleeping or losing hope or unaware of what God is doing, it doesn't mean that your problems lose sight of you. I've discovered I can lose sight of God but my problems will never lose sight of. And when I'm in a position where I've lost sight of God, I'm sleeping on the fact that he's at work, but yet my problems have not lost sight of me. Watch this, my problems seem bigger than they actually are because I've lost sight of the one that is bigger than the problem and the solution to the problem in front of me. Actually, this happened in the Old Testament. There was a servant to Elisha, 
He had fallen asleep one night, and when they woke up in the morning, they were surrounded by an enemy. You know that song we just sang, it may look like I'm surrounded? It's amazing how in life you can look like you're surrounded by depression or anxiety or fear or whatever it may be. And he wakes up and he says, Elisha, it's hopeless. We're surrounded by the enemy. And I love Elisha's response. He said, God, open his eyes. This is what he was saying. God, wake him up. God, help him to see that he was never abandoned. God, help him to see that he's not alone. God, help him to see that greater is he that is with us than he that's in the world. And in that moment, God opened his eyes. The Bible says he saw chariots of fire surrounding them and that they saw that the army that was with them was greater than the army that was against them. Could it be that we're living lives on honestly a random Tuesday and it seems like not much is going on, but if God gave you eyes to see in the spirit that there are angels of fire that are literally encamped around you, that God is sending messengers ahead of you and behind you to open doors, to prepare a way for you to fulfill the purpose and the plan and the destiny that he has for you. Somebody shout, stay awake. Can, can, can I help you stay awake? <laughs> because an atmosphere like this will wake you up, but it won't keep you up. Because you don't get to stay here for your whole life. Forgive me if I'm a little bit offensive, but it's easy to go ape in here because everybody is. You have the best band you've ever heard. You've had amazing singers. You have the presence of God that was curated by a prayer team long. It's easy to be spiritually awake here. The problem is we don't get to stay here. I was thinking about the idea of wildfires. God says that his Holy Spirit is like a consuming fire. He gave us that analogy of a fire to teach us how the power of God works. When you have a fire and you don't add logs to that fire, what happens? When you have a fire and it just sits there neglected, what happens? It dies out. And if I'm going to keep the fire of God, the hope of God, if I'm going to keep the passion of God burning in my life, I have to know how to add logs to that. How do I do that? I'm going to give you some practical things. Here's the first thing. i got to stay in my word. There is no such thing as a believer who does not read their word regularly that keeps the fire of God in their lives. So often we dance in his presence, we sing in his presence, we spin in his presence. But if we're not in his word, in his presence, that fire will peter out. Think about a log. No log can stay on fire by itself. It must be connected to other logs for that fire to grow. There's no such thing as keeping the hope of God isolated from other believers. There's this, this mindset. We have this song back in the States. It's an old black gospel song. And, and it goes like this. It says, long as I got King Jesus. Long as I got King Jesus. Long, long, long. I got kings, you don't need nobody else. It's a catchy song, but it's not true. If all I've got is King Jesus, the hope in me will dissipate. The fire in me will, here's what the Bible says. It says, woe to the man or to the woman that's walking by themselves. Because when, they, when the fire peters out, 
There'll be nobody to help them back up, but blessed is the man that has a companion because when they fall, there's somebody else to stir them up, to build them up. Hear me, and I'm gonna go back home, so if you don't like me, that's okay. If you are gonna be the Christian that keeps to yourself, that stays disconnected from other believers, that, that's not in unity, that doesn't allow other people to hold you accountable, the fire of God will peter out. Another thing that keeps that hope, that keeps the fire of God burning is when we don't keep it to ourselves, but we desire to share it with others. I don't know. Babe, I don't know why I keep getting in trouble, but that's okay. There are some believers, nobody in this room, none of you guys, just, you know, people outside the tent, that they love the presence of God in an atmosphere of believers. And it's like, oh, God is here. Hey, lay hands on me. Okay, I'm gonna lay hands on you. Or they're really bad. Fire! Lay hands on me. Okay, I'm gonna lay hands on you. Do you know us playing tag with the Holy Spirit is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit? God told the disciples, he said, change the world. Go ye therefore to all nations. But, don't go yet because you have to wait to receive the power of the Holy Spirit because it's the power that will give you what you need to win a dying world. I've discovered that if a brokenness for lost people are not in my heart, that the power of God, that the fire of God will dissipate. It is impossible to stay on fire with the Holy Spirit and not have a heart of brokenness for those that the Holy Spirit has sent us to win. God is gonna light you on fire tonight. Somebody say amen. amen. God is gonna put a hope in your heart that will not disappoint. Somebody say amen. amen. God is gonna awaken you to the purpose, the plan, the destiny that he has for you. Somebody say amen. amen. But in order for it not just to stay here tonight, but to carry you for the rest of your life, we must be in our word, connected to other believers, and have a heart for the law. Second thing is this, write this down, write this. I need to stay dressed. Just stay dressed. Me and my wife, we flew over, we took the red eyes, so we left at 10 p.m. from Washington, D.C., and we landed at 6 a.m. Sunday morning. Now, we had not slept all night because I can't sleep on red-eye planes. I've been up all night, but when we got here, it was early in the morning. We had to make a decision in that moment. Do we go to bed, even though it's 6 a.m. and it's everybody starting their day, or do we kind of try to stay up, fight the jet lag and all that other good stuff? We failed miserably. We went to bed, woke up at noon, and we still are on East Coast time, so pray for us. But here's what Jesus said. He said, stay awake and keep your clothes on. As I talked about earlier today, your clothes represent your identity. Your clothes represent how you see yourself. Your clothes represent how you carry yourself. And here's what God is saying. If you're gonna hold on to hope, if you're gonna hold on to the fire and the power of God, you've gotta see yourself the way that God sees you. Not the way that culture sees you, or family sees you, or your mistakes see you, or your shame sees you, or your past issues. No, I need to see myself as a child of God. 
about a year ago, I had to date the scariest experience I've ever had in my life. Put all the kids to bed, went to bed. And about four in the morning, I heard a blood curdling scream. I mean, it, 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 was, it was like out of a movie. It was the scariest scream I've ever heard in my life. And I instantly popped up. And every man in this room knows what I'm talking about. Adrenaline started to pump. And this was my moment. You see, women, there's something that us men don't tell you. All of us dream of the day when someone breaks into our house and we can beat them to a pulp without going to jail. We're not gonna do it in the street, but if you broke into my house, it's all bets off, let's go. I remember waking up and grabbed my wife and I put her in the closet, said, babe, somebody's in the house, we gotta go get them. And I opened my drawer and I grabbed my piece that surpasses all understanding and I'm, Americans. <laughs> and I'm ready to go out the door. The only problem is I didn't have my glasses on. And I don't know for those of you that wear glasses, you know they have these like fashion glasses now where it's kind of cool to have glasses. So people wear glasses just to look cool. These glasses are not to look cool. I'm legally blind. <laughs> <laughs> like I literally, I can see a yellow shirt, an orange shirt. I can't make out a face. I can see nothing without my glasses. I'm, I'm trying to find the door and I couldn't even find the door. And my wife is like, babe, your glasses. <laughs> Put my glasses on and <laughs> I get my flashlight and it's like, hey, who's out there? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you, I was scared out of my mind. Like maybe if I yell and let them know I'm coming, they'll run out the house. I go to where the screaming is coming from. It's in my baby girl Zoe's room. I burst the door and I'm just like, hey! <laughs> it's my daughter. She's four. She said, Daddy, my Winnie the Pooh flashlight isn't working. <laughs> my heartbeat is. The Bible says that your God moment is going to come like a thief in the night. The Bible says that the moment that God desires to use you the greatest is not gonna come with a big billboard saying, hey, tomorrow there's gonna be a sick person at work that's relying on you to pray for their healing. The moment that God desires to use you in a great way is not gonna come with a you are the anointed one for this moment. You are God's man of power for this hour. Be prepared. No, 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 no. That's not how revival comes. That's not how awakening comes. That's not how the destiny that God has for you comes. And here's what God said. He said, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. If you stay clothed, watch this, in the boldness of the Holy Spirit. If you stay clothed in holiness and righteousness, if you stay clothed in expectations and faith, you would not believe how many people that call themselves children of the Most High God, do not have a current supernatural prayer that they're believing God for. That if I were to walk around this room and pass the microphone and say, what miracle are you believing for? What, what, what breakthrough are you? A lot of people are like, huh? No, 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 no. The Bible says stay in a moment of expectation. Because the reality is that you may not know when, but God is getting ready to use you in a way that you never 
far possible. I'm going to end. We're going to scream and spin. But let me go back to that Revelation verse. It says, stay awake and keep your clothes on. Watch this. Lest you be ashamed. Here's the thing. Your God moment is coming whether you're ready or not. Your God moment is coming whether you have fire or not. Your God moment is coming whether you're full of hope or not. I don't know if this is too heavy, but can I just say it? Because I'm Stephen and we're best friends already. That pandemic was a God moment for the church to stand up and to say we know where authority lies. We know where healing lies. We know where power lies. We know where breakthrough lies. And there were some believers that were ready for that moment and there's some that were caught ashamed. God says, I need you awake, alert that God is at work and I need you clothed in faith and boldness and holiness knowing that I am getting ready to do something through your life like never before. Last thing is this, write this down. Don't worry, Jesus will wake you. So here it is. Jesus tells his disciples and the team can come and play. I'm gonna wrap it up here and we're gonna pray for some people that the fire of God will fall on you. But it says that Jesus leaves his disciples, he goes off and prays and he comes back and he finds them sleeping, he's frustrated. He said, can't you just stay, can't you just hold on to hope? He goes off a second time and watch this, when he comes back the second time and they're sleeping, he doesn't wake them up, he lets them sleep. But the third time he comes back, and this is not what your Bible says, this is just what happens in my head. I think Jesus kicked Peter. <laughs> I think it was like, wake up. And he said, watch and pray. Here's what I've discovered. This is gonna sound weird, but I'll make sense in a second. It's all right if you're asleep spiritually. Huh? I thought you just preached a whole message against being asleep. Hold on. It's all right if you've lost hope spiritually. Huh? If you're willing to be honest about it. Because Jesus has no issue waking you up. Jesus has no issue restoring hope. Jesus has no issue pouring his fire afresh in your heart. The only issue he has is people who say, no, I'm good. No, I'm fine. I don't need any more. There was a moment where, 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 where Jesus came to some Pharisees and he said, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You know what the Pharisees said? They said, we don't need your truth. They said, we have never been in bondage a day in our lives. They looked Jesus in the eye, these Hebrew Pharisees, and they said, we have never been in bondage a day in our lives. This is a rhetorical question. How many people have read your Bible? Ever. Any of it. This is a moment where most of you have been rebellious because we read it earlier today. How many of you? Almost the whole Bible Israel is in bondage. 
In the beginning, they're in bondage to Egypt. In the middle, they're in bondage to Babylon. At the moment when they're looking at Jesus, say, we've never been in bondage a day in our life. At that very second, they were in bondage to the Roman Empire. And yet they looked into Jesus' eyes that we don't need what you have. Jesus can work with people who are asleep. Jesus can work with people who don't have hope. He just can't work with people who won't admit it. If we would be a people that said, God, I need you to wake me up. God, I need you to stir something afresh in me. Oh, would it be appropriate, it's not, but we're family, that's okay, to say as a pastor that my heart does not always break for lost people? That there's seasons where I'm passionate over lost people getting saved. And then there's seasons that I'm not thinking much about the lost. And in those seasons, my cry is, God, awake me to what's awoken you. God, stir me afresh to what stirs you. Man, there's seasons where we're hungry and desperate for a move of God. And then there's seasons where we're just like, is my pizza gonna get delivered on time? And in those seasons, if we would be honest enough to say, God, I need you to wake us up once again. He will do it right where you are. So Jesus goes to the cross. You can play, I'm done. Jesus goes to the cross, as we know, he dies. Raises again on the third day. But the issue is that because the disciples slept that night, they missed what Jesus was trying to teach them. So watch this. Jesus is alive, and the disciples were locked in a room, hopeless. We miss this. Jesus is alive. He snatched the keys of hell, death, and grave from the enemy. He came back. He was leading captivity captive. He won. But the disciples were locked in a room, hopeless, completely missing the victory that they were asleep. You know the story. The Bible says that Jesus walks through the wall. He shows them the nail prints in his hands. He shows them the nail prints in his side. Then he does something interesting. The Bible says that he blew on them. He, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Come on, just, just exhale, just breathe out. Seems a little strange, right? Came in the room and he breathed on him. He said, receive. God, we don't need the Holy Spirit. We need hope. We don't need your hot taco breath. We need hope. But here's why Jesus released the Holy Spirit when people were void of hope. Because he knew that Romans chapter five, verse five says this. It says that God's hope cannot disappoint because he has poured out his hope through the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit that is God has never failed, 
has never disappointed, has never left us hanging. If I'm lacking hope, I'm lacking the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that pours out hope. And in this moment, as we may be looking at a situation saying, God, I don't know how this is gonna work out. You may be looking at a health situation. You may be looking at a family situation. You may be looking at your church saying, I don't know if revival or awakening will ever come to this church. You may be looking at your country saying, man, people don't even go to church anymore. It's just me and my. If you're lacking hope, you're lacking the Holy Spirit. But I got some good news for you. The Holy Spirit is in this room right now and he desires to pour out his presence and his power on all flesh. He is looking for a people that say, God, yeah, I might have fallen asleep on the fact that you're working in my life a little bit. I might have allowed hope to dissipate just a little bit. I might have gotten a little focused on just my relationship with you and forgotten about the fact that you have filled me so that I can impact others. But God, will you pour out your hope afresh? everything leading up to this moment. Last night's sessions. A session today talking about how I hold on to hope through the midst of tragedy. The breakouts and even tonight. It's a setup for this moment. God wants to pour something in you that's not just going to last for wildfires. It's not going to last just through this weekend but it will mark you for the rest of your life. It's not just an encounter, but God himself saying, I've called you, I've set you apart. I desire to use you to bring revival, to bring awakening to the land. Do me a favor as I close, can you hop up on your feet? drag it out. Take about 10 seconds. Close your eyes. Just lift your hands. Just for about 15 seconds, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. We prayed it earlier today. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Take a moment and respond to him. It'll be short. I'm asking that you reverence this moment. from now 
say that was the moment that he marked me. That was the moment that he set me apart. That was the moment that, that he put a hope in me that carried me through this season. What I want to do is I want to ask you to come forward, but I'm going to be really clear on this. I want you to step out of your seat and come forward. If your heart and if the decision that you're saying is God, I need a fresh encounter with your presence. You may be in the room, you may be a pastor that you're leading other people into God's presence and you love God, but if you were to be honest, you're running off of an encounter that took place five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And if you'd be honest, I can't say that there's been a fresh encounter. I can't say there's been a moment that God has marked me in a way that he's never marked me before. Maybe you say, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. I've been sleeping on the fact that God wants to use me. Maybe you'd be honest and say, Pastor, I've taken off my confidence. I've taken off my boldness. I've, I've taken off my expectation. I've taken off my hunger and my passion for the loss. I've, I've taken off my desire for revival. I want to see something new. I want to see something fresh from God. If that's you, do me a favor. Just fill the aisle. Step out of where you are. And it should be a whole lot of you. Step out of the aisle. Say, hey, I want something fresh. I want something new. I want an encounter with God that will mark me for the rest of my life. Slide in, slide in, slide in. Pastor, why do I gotta move? Why do I gotta come up? Why can't I, why can't I stay in my chair? Here's why because you need some type of action that lines up with your faith that God is getting ready to do something new in your life. There's something about just taking one step, just moving out of the space where you're in and saying, God, I'm coming to meet you and I'm believing that you're getting ready to pour out a hope that does not disappoint. As you get up here where you are, just lift your hands. Just, just begin to open your mouth and begin to let God, God know I, I'm longing for an encounter with you. Come on, fill this room with your voices, God. We, we need a fresh outpouring. We need a fresh encounter with you. We need a hope that does not disappoint. Fall afresh on us, oh God. Fall afresh on us, oh God. Fall afresh on us, oh God. In our hearts, wake us up to purpose, wake us up to destiny, wake us up to the move of God that has never stopped and has never dissipated. touch from you we need a touch from you yeah. we need a touch from you 
60 more seconds, 60 more seconds. Just get your eyes off of people around you. Lock your eyes on your Father that loves you more than you could ever comprehend. The King of kings and the Lord of lords is here in this moment, and we need a touch from you, oh God. Pour out your presence like never before. Pour out your hope like never before. Even as you're standing there, some of you guys are going to begin to give visions. You're going to see yourself sitting around tables with your family members and tears streaming down their faces. The presence of God hits them, not in a service, but at a meal in your home. Some of you are going to have visions of you in the back room at your job and praying for someone and the power of God hitting them right where they are. Some of you, God's going to give you visions of the biggest problem in your life, but it's no longer a problem. It's now the biggest victory that you've ever seen. I need a touch from you. I'm getting ready to pray over you, and then when I'm done, if you could stay right where you are, and I'll turn this service over. And They'll bring the worship team and we may pray for people. We'll just flow as the Holy Spirit wants to flow. But here's what you need to understand, that right where you're standing, the presence of God is right in that place. And right as you're standing there, just picture God himself breathing on you the same way that he breathed on those disciples, saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Father God, I pray for every single person at this altar, every single person that's desperate, that's hungry, that's longing for a fresh encounter with you. You said in your word that you pour out hope. And God, that your hope does not disappoint because you pour it out through the Holy Spirit. Father God, will you pour out your Holy Spirit on every person in this room right now? A fresh encounters fresh visions, fresh dreams. We're asking right now, God, that fire would fall. God, that it would literally land on every single head, not for a moment tonight, God. But as we walk out of this room, as we walk out of this revival, God, the fire that burns inside of us will not dissipate. And God, we will be ever so careful to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus.